Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. As always, I am excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you. And I'm excited to be here in Scottsdale, Arizona at spring training. Just across the way as I'm talking to you now from Talking Stick Salt River Fields. Uh, haven't been able to get down here for the last couple of years, you know, with that whole global pandemic thing. Uh, I do apologize, by the way, if you're noticing the sound quality is not quite as good as it normally is. Couldn't quite figure out the best way to make the mic work down here. So I hope you'll bear with me for these couple of days before I get back to Denver. But boy, oh boy, a lot has happened since we last spoke, including, you know, the drive down here and a stop to watch the Academy Awards and everybody knows what happened there. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, you know, that was an interesting thing to see on our way down to spring training. But got here, managed to get into the clubhouse. Talked to some guys, talked to Bud Black, covered the ball game last night, figured I would just give you a hodgepodge of thoughts and feelings and impressions and vibe readings, all that kind of good stuff, right? Because that's the time of year it is. It's spring. Everybody's in a good mood. Everybody's in a really good mood in the Rockies clubhouse right now. And I did want to start with that because that is one of the things that was weird about not being around the team on a day-to-day basis, because you really could get the sense for when the the chemistry wasn't quite there, right? And we know that it it couldn't have been just because what we publicly knew what was going on between Nolan and the Rockies, and then a little bit with Trevor, though a lot more of that was speculation. And I think that's one of the reasons why so much of the speculation got completely out of control over the last couple of years is people guessing about what was really going on inside the Rockies clubhouse and the easiest guess. And, and one that was certainly not totally wrong by any means was that it was a mess. It was just kind of a mess for a while there. And both on record and off record, you know, I've gotten guys to, or at least not, you know, attached to their name or whatever. We've just been talking casually about the vibes in the room and guys saying, yeah, it's just, you know, everyone here wants to be here. Uh, Even in terms of like, put aside all of that, like whether or not they would have had issues with how former teammates handled things, even just the press, the media scrutiny, all of the questions to each one of these other players about How do you think they handled this bad trade or, you know, we were expecting to have so-and-so this season and now he's not around. Do you think they're going to get rid of Trevor Story? All this stuff. And so I think that everyone is just kind of coming into a season. Obviously there was the big, you know, the lockout was the big negative thing that guys would really rather not talk about. Right. But as far as the Rockies and where they're at as a clubhouse, the, the roster of, you know, I think it, it got cut down to there's like 37 guys in camp now. But the 40-man, the let, let's, let's put it at that. The 40-man roster of players who are going to contribute to the Colorado Rockies this season are in just a better place mentally than they've been able to be basically since Nolan publicly made it clear that he was very upset 
with how the Rockies, since the disrespect comments, since that whole thing happened, right? The, the disrespectful comments. And so, and, and then with this pandemic, haven't been able to get around and, and talk to people. Getting, getting in there has been great. Seeing the guys in a good mood, everyone going about their business, they're bumping the music, uh, guys are feeling good, everyone's got a smile on their face. And it might sound ridiculous, but it's not been the case for all of the Rockies teams that I've covered. There's been palpable, you know, downer moments. And uh, I always talked about how important I thought guys like Carlos Gonzalez and Gerardo Parra were to the success of the 17 and 18 teams. I think that stuff is really important, super difficult to measure. And, you know, a lot of the analytics guys will scoff all day at the idea of especially chemistry, that word team chemistry in baseball, that you can really measure the production out on the field. But I've always said that, you know, the numbers will, will tell you what happened. And sometimes they'll tell you how it happened. But they very, very, very rarely can tell you why. And looking around at, you know, why guys, why more guys this year might have their best season of their career than either of the last two years. I'm not saying it's all the Chris Bryant effect. It's not on one guy like that. But I do think having somebody like that say, yeah, I, I see value here. I see what you can do. And when you do that, when you choose to be in a place as emphatically as Chris Bryant did, and then you walk in that room, and again, I'm not, I, I really don't want to turn this into a better than or, or or looking into the past or whatever, but I always felt that it was strange when Nolan specifically would make public comments about wanting the team to get better. We all knew the team needed to get better and you can go behind the scenes and tell your GM and your manager that all day. And, and Nolan Arenado is a player of the status who had every right to do that. But when he would tell us that by us, I mean in the media, and then we would all go and write about it and you would all go and talk about it. His, his current teammates see that also. And some of them might agree. And some of them might not care and say it's a business. But there were a lot of young guys on that team who were trying to prove that they belonged. And I always felt like all it takes is one guy who took any kind of negativity from that and saying he doesn't believe in me. And maybe that's not the right way to take it. Maybe that's not a fair interpretation. But these are all human beings, right? Stuff like that happens. I, I promise you that it does where Chris Bryant walks in the room and everyone there feels like he chose them. Ryan McMahon, you, you came to be on my team. He's going to say, you know, Kyle Freeland, oh, you came to be a part of this because you believe in me and in him and in that guy over there and in what we're going to be able to accomplish. And you're coming in and saying things like, I've never been on a loser and I don't plan to be. You know, you're, you're coming in with the legitimacy of an MVP award and a World Series championship on a team that went over 100 years without one. That brings vibes, credibility, legitimacy, belief. And baseball is a hard enough game 
when you have all the confidence in the world, when you have all the belief in yourself. So any kind of doubt in yourself, in your teammates, it can very quickly become toxic because it can be so prevalent. But having somebody say, no, believe in you and a few other guys too. I've had a lot of guys talk to me about, I had a long conversation with uh, Carlos Estevez today. I'm going to write probably two articles out of it, actually. Um, and most of the really good stuff wasn't on record. <laughs> and I can't, I can't talk about it or whatever. But one, one of the things I can talk about that he told me was that, uh, you know, Alex Colome, Colome, I, I got to get the, the pronunciation correct there. I believe it is Colome, that he... He goes, he's a really good guy, man. Apparently, he's known him for a while. I was asking him, I was like, are you getting him to know some of these new guys? And he goes, Colome is a really good guy, really good guy, uh, but kind of a quiet guy and, and sort of reluctant to be outgoing. And he says, which is weird because he's really funny, but we have to make him be funny. I was like, this is, this is interesting. This is interesting. Okay. So just, again, you're getting to know these guys, or, but, but they have a history. But I heard that from a few other people that they really like the attitude uh, that Colome has, has brought to the team. And again, that's a guy with a resume. And it's it's difficult to put a an evaluation on that because I know a lot of fans and analytics people will look at aging curves and certain data. And we do. We have to. We need to be aware of that stuff. And it's possible that Colome, maybe, maybe there's nothing left in that tank. But what there was, what his well, he's got, you know, 145 something saves in his career. That's a big deal. That that means something to these guys. And it does look like they're going to go into the year with a closer by committee situation with Colome Estevez. Estevez. There was another one we had to make that. You know, it's more of a emphasis correction. Estevez and Bard. And did you all see? Now, I was lucky. I was actually standing in the Rockies clubhouse because during spring training, when the starter comes out of the game, they will open up the clubhouse. And so we were in there talking to Antonio Senzatella, who had a rough outing. But it's spring training and he's working on stuff and it doesn't matter. But we were standing there talking to him and then I turned around to leave the room and Daniel Bard was on the hill and he threw that pitch that kind of went viral yesterday on, on Twitter. I don't know if he said it was a 99 mile an hour sinker with like a foot and a half movement, that thing moved. That was an unhittable pitch. And Bard has been toying with that sinker and he's going to add it more because he's mostly been a primarily fastball slider guy, right? And when, when the fastball can cook in there at 98, 99 miles an hour and with some late tilt to it and then you back it up with the slider, that, that was working for him, right? But I think, and there's a lot, there was a lot of conversation around Bard last year because his stuff was exactly, everything that you could measure, even the things like, you know, velocity and movement and like spin rate on his slider, like the real nitty gritty stuff was all consistent with where he had been when he was so good in 2020. So why was he getting kind of rocked in 21? I think a lot of it had to do with him becoming a little bit more predictable you know when you've only got those two pitches i think the control wasn't there early in the season he was walking guys i think that was a problem he lost control of the strike zone early in the year and then to get it back he was just a little bit too predictable when he was in the zone with what pitch and that's why 
you know, the outings where he was good, he was still getting big swings and misses and strikeouts. And you could see all of that was there. But he really ran into trouble, especially with home runs, extra base hits, getting hit hard because guys knew what was coming. And when you add a sinker now into the mix that he kind of had before, but he didn't really use it. And he's definitely trying to implement it more. And boy, did he throw a hell of a Now, that's just, you know, you're, you're not going to get that every time. Look, if guys could throw a pitch like that, every, very rarely does it actually make sense. Sometimes I'll hear fans or, or whoever say, ah, oh, man, just throw that pitch every time. Like, that doesn't work with very many pitches. There's almost no pitch in baseball that you can legitimately, but a sinker like that, you could throw almost every time, and it would be very, very difficult for most hitters to do anything with. The problem is, you can't throw a bit like that's that's <laughs> he's not going to do that every time. That was an insane amount of torque, uh, and I, you know, over the course of 162, you know, obviously he's not going to pitch every game, but you know what I mean. But you've you've got an intriguing trio of guys back there now. If Bard is going to have a bounce back, that is more about him changing up his approach because the stuff just is still there. Uh, Carlos Estevez, who I mentioned I had this long conversation with today, who's always had the stuff, who one of the things we're going to write about is adding this change-up element to his game. That was one of the things he started last year. It really helped him out. He was very solid down the stretch. Actually, most of the bullpen was, and that's another thing that I'm going to get into in writing on milehighsports.com, is that the bullpen has a lot of pieces here to be legitimately solid in a, in a way that, you know, I gave him a D minus. I Actually, I gave him an F in the offseason grades I gave out, and then I moved it up to a D minus when they added column A. But uh, in just talking to these guys, and, and it is, you know, again, hope springs eternal, right? It's one of those things. You get down here, you feel the vibes. You talk to Justin Lawrence. I wrote about that. I talked to Carlos Estevez. going to write about that. And, and there's just this belief in themselves and their ability to maximize their potential. And I know there are a lot of guys out there who feel that way this time of year. And, you know, you never know how it's going to go. But... I think that trio has a lot of really interesting potential. And I even think not being necessarily married to, and, and actually it was interesting, Buddy has left the door open to naming a full-time closer before the season starts, but he's also only got like a week left to do that. And I think, I personally think it would probably be better if he didn't. Uh, I think it would be best to cycle these guys in and out for a number of reasons. One, not feeling like you have to be attached to any of them longer than you need to be if they do start to struggle, because all of them have shown a reason why they might just not have a good year, right? Column A would be because of his age. He's just too far past his prime. For Estevez, it would be he's just been inconsistent throughout his career, and there are those times where the the home run ball has really hurt him, and, and we saw it with Daniel Bard last year, exactly what happened, right? So if you feel like you can maximize them, you can, kind of like how we've talked about using the DH and floating it around a little bit so that you're not relying on any one person, but you're also getting the best out of their, their legs. It's about recovery, and, and especially at altitude. This is something that I feel like doesn't get talked about nearly enough is, is how difficult it can be for these guys to recover. So you're going to need all three of them semi-regularly anyway. It's not like if one guy is closing 
then the other two aren't pitching that night. You probably want you you need setup. You need seventh and eighth inning guys as well. But I don't know. I just got a feeling about this bullpen that like they're just not going to be the disaster that they were a year ago. I can tell you that much right now, and that's going to go a long way. You know, obviously health is always going to play a factor. There's still a depth issue in the bullpen. There is still a lack of left-handedness in the bullpen. Uh, a lot is relying on Lucas Gilbreth and potentially Ben Bowden. And there's plenty of upside in both Gilbreth and Bowden, but but there there's plenty of room to worry on both those guys as well. There's just not a, a big body of work. There's not that resume of success. Gilbreth basically has a half a season where he was a very good reliever, but you know, there was no book on him. That's always the thing in baseball, right? They're going to write a book on you now and how you respond to that is going to determine a lot of things. So oddly left-handed adverse is this baseball club, aren't they? They don't have too many left-handed uh, sorry for any lefties listening to this. Uh, <laughs> Rocky's apparently not a big fan of your people. Uh, this is strange. I just as I'm thinking about it, because they don't have too many lefties in the lineup. We've talked about that when they traded Tapia, that it's just Blackman, Hilliard, uh, Nunez, if and when he's in there, and then obviously and Ryan McMahon, right? So four of them, but for the whole lineup, and Nunez being your backup catcher means you don't, you don't use him in pinch hitting situations because you might need him to catch. So you've only got one lefty off the bench if it's if Hilliard's off the bench. And if he's starting, you've got no lefties off the bench. And maybe two, and I'm not even sure, I haven't seen Ben Bowden much this spring. Uh, so I'm not even sure they're going to have two lefties in the pen. They... <laughs> He's going to say, how's Gilbreth doing? They're going to be able to carry a lot of pitchers. Gilbreth's going to make the roster. So they'll have a lefty. But yeah, it's an interesting part of that element. So so there's the bullpen talk for the day. Uh, moving into a couple of other things. I talked to Connor Joe for the first time in person today. That was really fun and interesting. And again, you know, look for the article on milehighsports.com. But he... Man, uh, you know, it's like I said, it, it's just a huge difference. One of those guys I really, it, it was odd to try to meet somebody, not not just through like Zoom calls, but Zoom calls with a bunch of other people on them, right? Where all, all I've really got time to do is ask a question. So literally I, I walk up to him today. I go, hey, uh, Connor, you know, first of all, do you, do you have a minute? Do you have a second of your time for me? Yeah, sure, of course. Okay. And then I said, you know, my name is Drew I'm with My Eye Sports. Um, you've heard my voice before and we've talked, but we've never actually met. <laughs> He's like, right, right, right. That had to be weird for you guys. I was like, I think that was weird for everybody, man. That was, <laughs> it was all quite strange. And then, you know, we got into talking about, so speaking of weird, you know, here's a guy who signed a minor league free agent off-season deal in November of 2020, right? Going into the 2021 season. And he signed it with the Rockies, who, especially at that time, right, were just this ship out to sea on fire. <laughs> but uh, as you know, 
Connor is recovering from cancer, surgery, and getting back into the game of baseball. You know, he had been a first round draft, a late first round draft pick, but a first round draft pick, I think by Pittsburgh. I don't have that right in front of me. I'm pretty sure it was Pittsburgh. And he was in the Dodgers system for a little while. Cancer happens. You miss huge chunk of your young career, right? And 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 maybe, and you don't know that you're ever going to be able to get back from stuff like that. And we've seen guys do it. Chad Bettis and Jamison Tyone, guys like that. But he, he gets the minor league contract, which is basically, hey, you can come to spring training and we're, we'll throw you some at-bats, but nothing is guaranteed, nothing promised whatsoever. And for those of you that, that really follow the club closely and were following spring training last year, you knew that from right then he started to produce. He showed up and was fantastic in spring training last year to the point that there was a question, and it seemed far-fetched, but it, there was a question about whether or not he would make the opening day roster. And I was fairly certain that he would not because, again, it, it's like you can't just assume that what a guy did in spring training is going to carry over to a regular season, and especially when a guy didn't have a season the year before, and you really don't know what kind of ball player he's going to be able to be over the course of any any amount of time. And so they send him to Albuquerque, continues to be fantastic, and still, though, didn't really earn the call-up until Rymal Tapia got hurt. Then they really did need a guy, and he comes up to the big leagues and almost immediately becomes a folk hero. It was fantastic. I remember being at that first game, and and we talk about this a little bit. I, I talked to him, and I'm, I'm going to write about it, too, so sorry for double-dipping. But it was... It was just some random game. I couldn't even tell you right now. I'll look it up. I'll put it in the article. But who they were playing it was a late at bat. Chance for him to maybe walk it off and be the hero. And he didn't. But the crowd started chanting, Joe, 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 Joe. And to this day, Neither he or I are 100% sure why, right? I think there were a lot of things that went into that moment. I think there were some people who knew his story. I do think there were people in the crowd that day who knew the story. I think a lot of us had covered it. I know my friends Patrick Saunders and Thomas Harding at the Denver Post and MLB.com had covered it. I know I wrote about it and talked about it. but. I think part of it, honestly, too, was just that it was, he just so clearly, it just says Joe on the back of his uniform, and for whatever reason like that, feels so comforting and so inviting. Uh, it was a big moment. But just in a game, look, I've seen a lot of guys with a chance to walk off games at Coors Field that have not, uh, that don't get their names chanted, <laughs> right? It was it, it was one of the most organic responses by a crowd that I've ever seen. I've been in a lot of crowds in my life, sporting events, concerts, whatever. 
and there I think it really was I on and and this is not a slight at Connor or anything else. I would bet that two thirds of the people who were chanting Joe that first game had no idea who he was. They they saw the name on the back of the jersey. But there there was and this is kind of the weird magical mumbo jumbo that you're gonna get from me sometimes. I'm sorry, I'm a comic book nerd, too much Star Wars and video games as a kid. I don't know. But I like I said, I met the young man today, and he also emanates a positive energy that you can feel. Right. When someone's been through something like that and then they come with all the like energy of I'm taking every moment like it could be my last. I'm living my best life. I'm doing everything that I can. I'm living to the fullest. Right. And and it's palpable. You can you can feel that. And I just think in that moment, the crowd could feel it. And they wanted they they wanted the Rockies to win the game, but they really wanted this guy who they didn't know. But they could they could feel he was gonna be a folk hero, and the and the chance have continued ever since. I really hope they come back to Coors Field this year, and and people will remember it. And I and I hope he has a great year. No one can ever fault anybody who roots for Connor Joe. Such a class act, such a positive guy, been through so much, and then he goes up and and then he really did have a great season. Like, don't forget about the part where he put up like a 117 OPS plus was walking all over the place. was looking like he belonged, you know, made a great play at first base yesterday in the game. I covered, uh, you know, hit the ball hard a couple of times. He's had a couple of homers this spring. He, he looks like he's, he's still fitting right in as a major league ball player who maybe is going to end up being a pretty damn good major league ball player, but he really was the story of the season for the Rockies last year, the positive story. He wasn't the story of the season for the Rockies last year. There were like 27 other things that were the story of the season for the Rockies last year. But on the positive side, Connor Joe was at the very top of that list, I would say. And you got to hope that he can keep doing it. You know, it looks like he's going to be a bit of a a rotational guy. You know, he's going to get in there in right field sometimes. They're going to DH him sometimes. I know a lot of people would rather Charlie just be the DH 100% of the time. That's not going to happen. I just, I'm telling you right now, and you may say some of that is placating him. Uh, I say, let's see it play out. I, I am of the belief that Charlie Blackman can still be a good defender for the Rockies in right field if he just doesn't have to do it all the time. And if it, you know, early in the season, it looks like he's really just not good out there. Then you can justify making him your more full-time DH and getting Connor Joe in as your more regular right fielder. And I don't think anyone's going to argue that Joe's not the better fielder, but I also don't think that he's necessarily an elite one in right either. I think he's going to be an above average defender and right. He's probably not going to play a ton of left because I think Chris Bryant's just going to be camped out there all year as long as he's healthy, right? But then first base, left field, right field, DH, you're going to see Connor Joe play all of those positions. I think he's pretty much a lock to make the opening day roster, even if he's not in the opening day lineup. But I suspect he will be probably a DH, which is going to weird people out and, and make them upset that they've got the better defender in at DH and Charlie Blackman out and right. But the other thing, too, especially for opening day, Charlie Blackman's going to run out there and man right field for the Colorado Rockies on opening day at Coors Field. He just is, right? And 
there are 162 baseball games. There are things you earn as a veteran, as a guy who's been in this organization through a lot. Charlie Blackman has seen a lot of Rockies stuff. I'll put it that way, right? So he's going to go out there and he's going to start the season in right field. We'll see how it goes from there. But Connor Joe, folks, it's, yeah, in real life, it is It is how it feels through the TV. It is how it feels through the articles that you read and the tweets and the whole thing. Like, he's the real deal uh, of, you know, when, when people tell you, one of the good guys, but beyond that, I think he's got, you know, this guy's a great athlete. You know, he's clearly focused, driven, and you wouldn't want to bet against a guy like that. So I was really excited to get to sit down, chat with him, uh, and I hope you'll look forward to reading that one. And a few brief thoughts on uh, some spring training performances so far, because I haven't really dived into it yet and it's almost over really truncated spring and that's part of the problem like i want to make one slight correction but then drive this point home i hear a lot of people talk about how like spring training stats don't matter yes they do they just don't matter the same way or as much as regular season statistics so you, you heard me do it earlier with Sensatella. i was like he was awful but it doesn't matter and it doesn't Right. Those, those are not the things, the statistics that matter. And especially for pitchers, you know, guys are working on any number of things and you never know. But you just have to every statistic needs to be put into proper context to be properly understood. Right. And you just need that much more context for spring training stats. So a guy who's raking, you know, a guy might hit. 400 or whatever, but all of his at-bats were coming in the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings against double-A pitchers or whatever. And so you you have to keep all of that in mind. So you can't just say, well, this guy had a better spring than anybody else. It's like, well, no, he didn't really because he wasn't you know, facing any actual major league competition. So all of those things need to be taken into account. Certainly the truncatedness, not sure if that's a word, but I'm going with it, of this spring is something that needs to be taken into account. But there's also a thing for hitters of, well, timing. Actually, there's a thing for both pitchers and hitters. Timing and feel. That's what spring is all about. You've got to get your timing and feel back. And if a guy does rip a baseball 450 feet, you go, okay, He's probably got his timing at least in an okay spot. Because even in spring, I watched it like just yesterday, Sensatella in the first at bat to Mike Trout threw a fastball first pitch right down the middle at like 94 miles an hour, and Trout swung right through it. Now, <laughs> that happens in the regular season, but not often, not very often from Trout and guys of that caliber. See my gong? He didn't quite have his timing just yet. And when I was watching that game yesterday, I started thinking, I think we're going to see a decent amount of kind of sloppy baseball the first month of the season, right? There was a lot of uncertainty going into spring about when the season was even going to start at all. A lot of guys haven't been able to get stretched out all the way. Now, I did hear Senza say he feels like in his first outing, he's good to go 90 pitches, you know, which I was like, and and even that is not quite full. You want you want your top to be kind of 100 at at the least. So he, he wouldn't say he was fully stretched out, but 
this this whole thing has been weird. But when you do see, yeah, okay, Brendan Rodgers has gotten into a couple. That's good to see. You you want to see those kinds of things. It doesn't mean their timing is figured out, but it means that they're not going to start the season totally looking for it, right? So some of those things you you do want to see in spring training. If a guy's oh for whatever with all the strikeouts that can definitely be an indication that he's not in a good spot going into the season. Depends on the player. If it's a young player doing that, that might mean he doesn't make the team. Then spring training stats really matter, right? A veteran player like Charlie Blackman or something goes over with a few strikeouts. You're not going to care. He could go into the season because it's not his first one. So, yeah, I, you know, I think there's going to be some interesting play for the Rockies in the bullpen in terms of who makes the squad. I think Ty Block, as I was thinking about lefties, I left him out, <laughs> left him out. Sorry. And I, I think he's going to be a factor there. Uh, I think he's actually got a pretty good shot to make this squad based uh, again on what he has done this spring. That's another thing that you can tell a little bit in spring training is when a guy hasn't been healthy or is re- recovering from Tommy John, whatever that may be. I just went through, you know, how Connor Joe basically got the attention of all his coaches during spring training. I think Ty Block, in a less dramatic way, <laughs> is is doing something similar this year, where you really didn't know when you invited him to camp if he'd have anything at all. It was just kind of one of those, yeah, let's, let's bring in Ty Block. He had a couple good years there with the Giants. He, age-wise, he should still be able to go in the game if the arm is okay. You bring him in, you get a look at him, and the arm looks fine. He's not going to blow anybody away, but he could be a decent lefty and or long reliever for the Rockies out of the pen, and they need one of those, you know? <laughs> it's not total rocket science there, but but that's one of those things you go, yeah, okay, valuable commodity. Uh, I hate calling guys commodities, but valuable commodity for your team uh, that you didn't really spend any resources on, right? Going to be interesting to see how that roster shakes out. Like I said, about a week left. Uh, I don't know that they're going to be any huge surprises, but I, I think this team's ready for a good start. I'll tell you that place. I think they're in a good place mentally. I think they're in a good place. Uh, everybody, knock on wood. I won't even. You know what? I'm not even going to finish that sentence. <laughs> I'll just. Uh, I'll. I'll just say the the lineup has been every day. Uh, if if you're catching what I'm saying there, they just look like they're in a good spot to start the season. I was talking with Kyle Freeland today as the last little story I'll tell you on this one. Uh, And I'll I'll talk to you again. I'll do got a lot of podcasts for the rest of the week to come from down here in Scottsdale, but talking to Kyle and he was, you know, just saying, yeah, you know, I, I do. I feel really good physically, you know, mentally, I feel like I'm in a good spot. I feel like this team is in a good spot, you know, and, and, and he's always been this guy. Look, Kyle Freeland's the biggest Colorado Rockies fan. (laughs) Ain't no bigger fan of the Colorado Rockies. He has mountains and like 5280 tattooed on his arm, right? (laughs) The guy. So, so you, so you know what? Yeah. He's a little bit of a Homer, but he says, you know, I, I know people aren't necessarily 
going to be big believers in us every year. And, you know, I understand why that is. But I really think that this team has a chance to do some special things. And I go, you know, yeah, you should believe that. I'm sure he went into, or, or he could have gone into, the 2018 wild card game going, well, you know, we got here. We did we did a great job just to get here. But we got to go into Chicago's house less than 24 hours after having lost a tough one in L.A. for the division. And I've got to square off against the winningest pitcher in postseason history. And he could have blinked. Instead, he outpitched him. And the Rockies won the game. So, sometimes Kyle Freeland, I guess, is a, a good example for why you've got to have that unwavering faith and belief in yourself and in your teammates. And right now, this team believes in themselves. That's a start. Thank you all for listening to this episode of 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you're following me on social media at Drew Creaseman. You can hit me up with questions there anytime. You can also slide into my DMs and ask me about my Discord channel if you're interested in that. Always send me questions. I always want to be able to respond to all of you out there. Catch me on the spaces, all that other good stuff. Otherwise, just keep being absolutely awesome out there. I'll keep being absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.